Hello and welcome to People at Work. It's Dustin. I'll be your host today. People at Work is brought to you by Jostle. You can learn more at jostle.me if you're interested. Today's episode, I'll be chatting with Shane Metcalf, who is the co-founder and chief culture officer at 15.5 and the co-host of the HR Superstars podcast. Shane, welcome to People at Work. Thanks, Dustin. Really good to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. 15.5 seems to care about a lot of the same things as Jostle, which is amazing. Those are always good conversations to have. And I'd love to start with, you know, your background and journey and why 15.5 exists, basically, like how you got to that point of figuring out that was your next step. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I mean, I I have a very nonlinear story and I never really was sure that I was going to start an HR tech company. You know, it's not like that was my vision that I was always moving towards. I've always been entrepreneurial, but what I was doing before 15.5 was full-time coaching. And coaching was the first place that I really locked in and then discovered a synthesis of my strengths and my passions. And it was intoxicating. I completely fell in love with coaching. And the, you know, I was going about building my coaching business. And I actually met my co-founder, David Hassel, who was uh, beginning the early, early work on 15.5, as we now know it today. And this was about uh, 10, 11 years ago. And when I saw what he was building, what I, the pieces that clicked into place was I love asking questions. I think questions are one of the most miraculous technologies we possess. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, I get to ask a lot of questions every week, but with a platform, technology platform, we can ask unlimited questions. We ask probably close to a million questions a week at this point wow. through our platform. Yeah. And creating that inquiry, creating that self-reflection. And so it was a really serendipitous thing for me to actually fall into 15.5 and to help get to have this opportunity to build it. And, you know, a lot of how I became a coach was not having a career path. You know, I didn't, I'm not somebody that's ever had a career path. I pursued self-development, creative development, self-awareness. And following my passions, my purpose. And at times that felt like, oh man, what have I done? You know, like I'm living a pretty cool life, but I'm broke AF. And the, you know, the journey has been really realizing that it is investing in our genius. It's believing in our own inherent creative genius that we all possess and bringing that through that will actually be a win-win. It's going to mean we get to give our gifts to the world and we can be handsomely rewarded for that as well. It was accidental, not really planned, but you focused on the soft skills, which are really difficult and often take years and years to develop. And oftentimes people don't do that. They're throwing into a leadership position and then they realize, oh, I don't really know how to communicate or show empathy or deal with this. So you kind of did it backwards, but in the end, that totally worked out, I think. Well, you know, it was interesting too, because a lot of these communities that I was a part of, and I think that soft skills really is uh, best suited to be developed inside of a community, Mm -hmm. you know, where there's a variety of relationships, where there's a variety of interpersonal dynamics and challenges that come up that force us to lean into these things. And what's interesting is, you know, I'm, I'm in all of these communication workshops and Uh, self-development workshops. And I was seeing people in their 40s, 50s coming in and they've been working their whole lives full time. And they're like, I've success financially and career successful, 
but I have no idea how to express my own desires. I don't know how to ask for what I really want. I don't know how to set boundaries. I don't know how to deeply empathize with people. And so I was seeing, wow, this is an interesting thing. I'm starting, I am doing this in reverse. I have no career I can really point to, you know, I have this giant gap in my resume, Yeah, but I was investing in things that later became a cornerstone of how I have, have how we, we have built 15.5 and built a, a pretty interesting culture. Yeah. And I think the point you make there about, you know, people who are in their forties or fifties, super successful, maybe running companies already having to work backwards and solve that. That could be why company culture at a lot of companies and just historically has maybe lacked or moved a little slowly over the years and change. Um, so I, I like the fact that, you know, hopefully with something like 15.5, you're able to introduce some of those tools almost at scale to all employees so that when they get into leadership, hopefully they have those skills f fully formed, right. And can pass those down to the next generation. So. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, it's also why we, in addition to being a technology company and platform, we're also becoming a education company because we know that there needs to be the education. There needs to be that information and context setting about how to properly use a tool, how to think about your people, how to understand the value of having clear priorities. And, and so it, it is, a, you know, an interesting moment. I think what we're seeing is a, a deeper integration and synthesis of some of these principles of personal development and growing as a human being, mm -hmm. which I think is, that makes us better leaders, but building that into the day-to-day -day workflow, baking that into some of the core principles of our culture so that we don't have to wait till we're burnt out and we're already successful in our careers to go take a workshop on how to communicate. Yeah. And I think the, the pandemic kind of accelerated a lot of this, right? Like it, it was a forced pause for people where they could take a second and, you know, realize what they actually want and think how they might get there and what's important to them and realizing, Hey, maybe those three hours of my family are better than sitting on a bus or a train going to work. Right. So it was, I think that accelerated everything for leaders and some are adapting really well. Some are maybe stumbling through figuring out what to do. It's a very difficult thing. Um, but I am curious how, how that changed for four fifteen five. Like, did you decide to go fully remote hybrid kind of what's your stance on that? Yeah, sure. Um, just, just a note on, on COVID and the way that it's created so much innovation. I mean, I think chaos is the root of innovation Yeah. and, and at times in the middle of the chaos, it feels like chaos. It doesn't feel like innovation, but what it has done for accelerating innovation at work is, is profound. And we're, we, we, we don't even understand it yet. I don't think we're really going to understand it till, you know, for another 10 years. And so how did we adapt? I mean, we were always a remote first company. One of our core values was embrace freedom and flexibility. It still is, but it's just transformed a little bit. <laughs> and, and so we didn't really have much adjustment period. We had hubs, we had, we have central headquarters where we have had thriving offices, but everybody was already in the remote first mindset. You know, I mean, you'd go in to one of our offices for an all hands and everybody's on their computer, yeah. not in a stadium hall setting, 
than listening to one person because that doesn't include the people that are remote. Mm-hmm. So we've always built it from the ground up to be inclusive of remote first. And so there's all kinds of other ways that we, that, you know, COVID shook us and tested us and there was challenges, but the remote work aspect, we'd already built a thriving culture in a remote model. So there was, there was very little uh, adapting we had to do on that particular front. Yeah. And I feel like I'm vastly going to oversimplify things here, but it, it kind of comes down to just, you know, treating people like adults and giving them the choice of, you know, they're an intelligent, ambitious person. Let's figure out where they want to work, how they want to work and enable them to do that rather than, you know, setting all these rules and guidelines. These are your hours in the office this time. So I personally like that change. I've always worked for companies similar that were quite flexible with that. Um, but yeah, it does seem like companies now are adapting and realizing, trust your people, treat them like adults, let them make their own decisions. And I think that's a giant positive in general. Yeah. And, and I mean, all of these things, all these behaviors come from root beliefs, from premises mm-hmm. that we're building the world on top of. Yeah. And so if we think that people are inherently untrustworthy and are lazy, and so you can't really trust them to do the work unless you're there supervising them, mm-hmm. then of course you're going to see the the results of, we, of that belief. And so much of our current models are just hangovers from industrial era mindsets. Yeah, totally. That was about how do you control people with fear? Mm-hmm. How do you get them to stay in line? HR is a preventative measure for not getting sued. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, HR has its roots in slavery. And oh, I, we, we had a, no a podcast guest the other day yeah. that was looking at and exploring the nefarious roots of HR. Huh. And, and again, it's these things that are like, whoa, that's, that's crazy. And, and so, many, so many of our management practices and organizational structures have their roots in prior models of control and productivity that are no longer relevant today. And so what I love about, you know, I mean, COVID has been tough for everybody, no matter who you are, there's been struggles. Yeah. But one of the things that's really interesting is that it, it broke down the barrier to remote work. Mm-hmm. And I believe that we have this really interesting opportunity of when you know, one thing changes and has the opportunity to change a lot of other things. And yeah. so can we use this as an opportunity to implement on a wider spread, more functional, up-to-date models of management and leadership that tap into intrinsic motivation of human beings that see them as trustworthy and capable versus untrustworthy and incapable. So you need to micromanage the heck out of them. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you kind of mentioned it and hinted at, I think people are more open to change now because they just went through probably one of the biggest changes of their life that, that now is the time I think people might actually take action because it's one of those things, like you said, it's been so ingrained for 50 years, 60 years, a hundred years that changing that it almost takes this massive life changing event to be the trigger, right? Or otherwise, who knows, we would have just kept on for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So since there is an opportunity for change and 
you know, how you treat people. Something you talk about is transformational cultures versus transactional cultures. And we often talk about, you know, HR wanting to change from that transactional nature to focusing on the people and kind of stepping up a level. Um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what is a transformational culture? What makes a culture one? Yeah. So I think that one of the key, key distinctions here is that uh, transactional cultures are, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of different threats to this. One you could say uh, is you just going in for a paycheck versus a transformational culture is you're actually there for a purpose. You're there to use your gifts in service of a higher purpose. <laughs> that already is going to prov provide a North Star for the focus of your energy and your attention. Uh, other dynamics are that a, you know, traditional or transactional cultures are saying, hey, you are a professional. That's kind of all you are to us. Mm -hmm. You're a professional first, human second. Yeah. And we really care about the first part. And so we're going to focus on the, you know, call it a, a quarter of the pie that is professional. Mm -hmm. And a transformational culture recognizes that you can't just cut out the professional from the human. It's human first, professional second. And we will benefit by seeing that wholeness, recognizing the inherent wholeness, of every single person that works for us. You are a marketer or a sales rep, but you are also a son, a father, a sister, a friend, a person with hopes, dreams, ambitions, with complex identity, with non-conforming beliefs about the world. All of these incredibly dynamic and complex things that make up a single person. And so if you can start to build a culture that, first of all, recognizes and celebrates that and designs its culture, its uh, benefits, its programs to support the whole human, <laughs> that's an amazing foundation. And then you start saying, hey, we want, we want our company to be an incubator for the whole human. Mm -hmm. We want you to be, you, we want you to leave it, this company, better version of yourself than when you started. We don't want to crush your soul, to traumatize you, to perpetuate dysfunctional models of hierarchy. We want to provide opportunities for new experiences, for growth experiences. You know, I think that we're going to be seeing, we already are seeing a sea change in how companies are thinking about supporting the mental and emotional well-being of their people. Yeah. And I think we're at the very early stages of this. You know, the levels of innovation that are happening in mental health right now are really exciting. And the business world has yet to even get a glimpse of what's coming down the pipeline. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, uh, the, the revolution that's happening in mental health is in psychedelics, plant medicines, MDMA, you know, that MDMA based therapy is, uh, about to be approved by the FDA and working with the MAPS organization to provide a network of facilitators who can guide these experiences and get at some of the root causes of trauma and cure them, not just treat trauma, but actually help cure PTSD, 
And, you know, I know this is a kind of a radical thing, but this is, you know, we looked five, 10 years out into the business world, <laughs> into ways we can actually be supporting our people to really thrive. These are some of the things that are coming through. Yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting to tie it back to, you know, people bringing their professional self, which is often kind of a safe stereotype version of what they think they should be. If that makes sense, that definitely doesn't jive with some of the things you're talking about, right? So that, that word changes. I read a great Brene Brown quote the other day that fitting in is the opposite of belonging. Yeah. No, that's a good quote. Yeah. And I think that a lot of us, I think the business world in general, that being professional is kind of fitting in. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sanitize myself to be palatable to the most people. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that's what a healthy culture is. I think a healthy culture is one of deep respect for just, just, just to respect somebody because they're human. Mm -hmm. Just that right there, upfront respect paid to each person. And, you know, performance needs to be managed performance. There needs to be standards. We need to coach out people that are not meeting expectations or coach them up, you know, coach up or coach out, mm -hmm. but we can still respect somebody, even if we're giving them feedback about where they're not meeting the bar. And, and from there, then it's about how do we have healthy self-expression? How do we bring the best of ourselves to the table? This isn't you know, it's not toxic positivity, right? We, because our best self isn't always happy. Our best self is somebody that's actually in touch with our feelings. It's actually connected to our internal experience as much as to our external actions. Yeah. And I think from a, from a coaching or a leadership perspective as well, you need to have that trust to be able to talk to the person and figure out what's actually going on. Cause you'll notice the end result a lot of times, right? Their performance dip, they seem to care less. And some people could just think, Oh, that person's lazy. They're not the right fit, but you have to have that personal relationship to figure out, is there something going on in their life that they're struggling with that I can help? Like what, what is actually happening here? And in those fear-based cultures, like you said, person's never going to tell you. So really good people might get coached out when realistically they just needed a bit of help. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, fear constricts communication mm -hmm. and trust expands communication. And so if we can move towards trust. And look, I mean, this is not easy. Like we have our own internal struggles with this and running a larger, you know, company with hundreds of people, it's easy for there to be misunderstandings for mistakes to happen. And so it's, again, how do we get back to it? You know, one of my own uh, family values is return to love. And, and, you know, and I mean, it's, it's so applicable for business. Because it is about like, when we get off course, how do we get back on course? How do we create repair? How do we, how do we, uh, address issues at the root so that it can have a healthy flower? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like, um, so you mentioned that you're, you know, a couple hundred people now, or a few hundred people now. I find I, what I've seen, at least at smaller companies, it's usually, you know, the original leadership or the CEO or the founder who really cares about that culture and community and wants to build it. And then as they get larger, that the natural place is HR, but HR functions often aren't built to facilitate that. You know, and then there's kind of this weird gap where who owns the culture, how can they improve it? And no one ends up owning it. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting to 
not push, but help elevate HR to maybe be the home of that. Yeah, sure. And I mean, look, the founder always owns the culture. I mean, everyone owns the culture, yeah. but the founder is absolutely responsible for the culture. You cannot outsource culture to HR. Never going to work. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I like to say that organizations are a fractal representation of the consciousness of their founders. And sometimes that's confronting. You know, sometimes I look at the problems, you know, the challenges that we have internally. I'm like, oh, God, what is that <laughs> about me? But yeah. you know, I have to take responsibility for it. I can see places where some of our challenges are absolutely rooted in my own thinking, mm -hmm. my co-founder's thinking. Yeah. So when that's totally an awareness thing, right? Like being self-aware enough to spot that. Um, I'm curious of any maybe struggles that you've had to deal with where you spotted that and said, okay, I need to find a solution for this problem or growing pain or companies experienced. And then maybe an initiative or what you did to help with that. Yeah, sure. I mean, so one, one of the, the, a good example is me and my co-founder are very empathetic and we really love believing in people. Mm -hmm. And so there's sometimes the shadow of that can be being too tolerant, not holding people accountable, not holding really clear boundaries of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable from a performance level. Mm -hmm. And so there being a little bit of a looser structure there not as high of a bar as we might need to accomplish the business game mm -hmm. that we're playing. And so what's interesting is then hiring other executives who are maybe on the opposite end, who are uh, more bulldogs on performance, mm -hmm. who don't have as much empathy, but also hold a much higher bar of what it means to stay employed here. And so then it's the, an interesting kind of synthesis of those two. How do we both meet in the middle? How do we help mm -hmm. that person develop some of the ways of thinking and believing in people and treating people while we also get more comfortable holding high accountability at, you know, giving critical feedback. Mm -hmm. And so it's those, you know, that kind of blending together that I think can then also not only, not only is this about the companies and our employees experience, you know, cause the only experience I really have control over is mine. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk about building transformational cultures, I'm also speaking because I have been transformed by this culture. I, I am still growing to this day, finding new edges to grow into. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want. Like we want to be challenged by our work. We want to have purpose to it. We want to do it with people that we respect and admire. We want to align our work with our deepest strengths. <laughs> and we want to turn those strengths into superpowers, into super strengths. Yeah. And I think that is just going to be accelerated. It seems like, you know, the younger generation or the next generation coming up, that resonates more. Right. Like if I, if I think of, you know, my parents or that generation of how they go to work somewhere for 25 years, it's their paycheck. It's how they put food on the table. It's just what work is. Like you don't have to like it. You don't have to care about it or have meaning. Whereas I think now coming up, it's the total opposite with the next generation. Like they're putting meaning, purpose, value, uh, growth, putting all that first, which th that'll be an interesting transition as well to kind of pile on top of all this. 
you know, we just interviewed a, uh, a head of people, Nancy Hoggy, and she, she said something really interesting. Um, I'm going to read this quote. And uh, she said, that I, I felt that if I had a plan that was too rigid, I wouldn't be able to seize an opportunity, whether that opportunity was superb or just a learning experience that helped me put everything else in context. I think we force people to make choices too early in life, to declare a major in college, etc. We have to think more about lifetime education and allowing people to sort out what they were going to love before we make them make these choices. Just because you're good at math doesn't mean you're going to be a great computer scientist. We've got to be careful. And, you know, why I love that and how I think that connects is that we want our companies to be an opportunity for people to rediscover their strengths and their passions. Because yeah. a lot of us didn't get that choice, have the choice. You know, we, we, we made choices maybe prematurely, yeah. but then we find ourselves midway in our career being like, I'm not fulfilled by my work. I'm not energized by my work. I end the day way more exhausted than I started it out with, but not in that like used up in a good way. And so I think, you know, building these cultures where people can go through process of self-discovery mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean, hey, we're going to custom create jobs because we need to, we need to solve the problems of the business. We need people to solve the actual business challenges that we have. But we can support people on that path. And then as it makes sense and we find that alignment of what business needs and where my passions and strengths lie mm-hmm. to create more of that alignment. Yeah, I, I love that because when I, if I'm a guest on a podcast, I often get asked, you know, how did you end up where you are today? And my answer is always, I did a bunch of jobs and did a bunch of things and realized I didn't like them until I found something I actually like. So it was from you know, printing press to sales, which was good in some ways to a business analyst, which bored me too much to now marketing at a company that focused on something I care about. So totally random pinball bouncing around. But I, I love that if you can find a company you like, and that supports that, maybe you don't have to do that bouncing around, right? You can morph into different roles or different places as you figure out your strengths. Yeah. And, and also, you know, when we're thinking about career ladders and we're building career pathing mm-hmm. for our people, we shouldn't just do it from this outside in approach. Yeah. It should be, there should be self-discovery. There should be, you know, what is actually important to you, mm-hmm. that strengths discovery, the things you actually enjoy and that energize you. Yeah. That needs to be factored in to a career path. Yeah. And I think especially in companies that maybe aren't growing super fast. They're either growing steadily or staying somewhere, someone flat. And you have a great person who maybe they're just at that point where they've done everything they can in this role, how you can help move them into something else to learn more about the business or something that aligns better with their interests. Um, I've had people on my team who they are in their third role on the marketing team doing entirely different things in marketing, yeah. but they're, they're great people and they're amazing to work with. So having that opportunity, I think helps a lot. Absolutely. And, and. I think sometimes some people think, oh, well, you know, if we help people become more self-actualized at work, Mm -hmm. what if they realize that they've outgrown us? Yeah. You know what? If that's the case, then let that be your legacy. Mm -hmm. Like help somebody move on to the next level for them. Like there's no better feeling in my book than knowing that I set somebody up for success. Like uh, Colleen McCreary, the, the chief people officer of Credit Karma said something really interesting once to me 
that a role of a manager is to help you get your next job. Yeah. And maybe that's an internal in the same company. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's external. But that focus of I'm going to get you to the next level so that you can have more optionality is a really cool perspective. It is. That's something that, that I had to learn and seem foreign to me at first, right? Because you're kind of selfishly, oh, this person's awesome. Let's keep them here. Um, but it really clicked. I'm a member of a marketing community and there was CMOs kind of humble bragging about, oh, I, I've had this many people on my team that then grew into a CMO or grew into CEO. And it was like their proudest accomplishment of their career. Yeah. And I got kind of jealous. I'm like, I want to do that for people too. I want to be able to help them. So it does take that moment to kind of click, right? Um, so I'd love to, I, I hinted at a bit or I mentioned it at the beginning around the sabbatical program. Um, and I saw you kind of mention that on LinkedIn and found that super interesting and pretty unique. You don't see it too much. Um, so I'd love to hear, I know it's early stages, but you know, what that might look like and what's the why behind it? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, we have, uh, the first couple of people in the company that have been approved to take their sabbaticals. Mm-hmm. And so we require a six month advance notice so we have proper time to plan and it doesn't kind of come out of the blue. Um, we, we fundamentally believe that work is amazing, right? Work can be one of the best experiences of our life. It can also be one of the worst experiences of our life, but we, this is why we try to stack the odds and do organizational design to make it one of the best experiences of your life. But there are certain aspects of human development that are not well suited uh, during full-time work. There is something that happens to the human spirit when we aren't uh, in a nine to five routine. Mm-hmm. And part of the inspiration is there's actually a Ted talk called the power of time off. I'll, I'll try to send the link to you. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, you can put it in the show notes. In fact, we just wrote a, I just wrote a blog, uh, on the sabbatical program and some of the other benefits that we, we create. And this is an architecture firm that every seven years, the entire company shuts down for a full year. Oh, wow. Radical, oh. radical model. Yeah, no kidding. And they somehow baked it into their business model and clients know it and expect it. And yeah. But they say that the next seven years of innovation all happen during that year off. Yeah. That people go and they travel, they do all the different things. And in the non-linear path of innovation, you know, you're out canoeing in Switzerland or something and it strikes you, whoa, that's what we should be doing. Yeah. And so in, in the, the, I mean, there's, there's a couple of purposes. One, it's to say thank you to our long tenured employees who have given so much of their lives to building this company. You know, it is, it is a, uh, it's building companies is a Sisyphean effort. You know, I mean, the number of companies that ever reach 10 million in revenue or 30 million in revenue is, you know, it's a tiny, tiny fraction of those that get started. Yeah. Most, most businesses fail. Yeah. And it's a hard effort and it takes emotional grit and determination and fortitude. Mm-hmm. And so this is a way of saying thank you to the people who've been with us for, for a long time. At five years, you can take six weeks of a paid sabbatical. And at seven years, you can take eight weeks of paid sabbatical. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I mean, I wish I could do three months. I wish I could do a year for people. 
because I think there's so much that happens. But this is a, a, a small way of us giving somebody a longer break from full-time work. You know, I didn't work full-time for a lot of my 20s. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't, I didn't have a trust fund or anything. And I, you know, somehow made it work on very, you know, sometimes it blows my mind of like, how did I even make that work? <laughs> and, but there was so much richness in, in my life. And, you know, so many, so many people I talk to that are maybe taking a break between jobs or are on a sabbatical or like, I can't believe how busy I am. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do with myself and I'll just watch Netflix all day. You know, there's so much that fills the space when we're not working full time. And so this is, this is our attempt to give people just a little bit of that. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And I mean, a lot of people will go their whole career without ever having a six week or eight week break, right? Which is just, insane. Yeah, I, I definitely. I don't recommend that. Yeah, I, I haven't had one in a while. Right before I did my MBA about five years ago, I took two months where I just no work, no school. Yeah. Just got to relax and figure out what I wanted to do and center a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, thinking forward, who knows when that next chance is. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the reality is that for a lot, for most people, it's not financially viable. Yeah. Which is why a sabbatical is actually really nice because it's saying we're going to, you, you don't have to worry about money. You're going to make it your same income. And experience, who are you when you're not working full time? Where is the, where's the discomfort? You know, where are we using work to, uh, you know, fill the void that we're terrified of looking into? Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think it's super interesting concept. Um, and I am curious if that starts to pop up more as people realize both from a self-discovery process, but, or a purpose, but also from a mental health, let's not focus on work all day, every day for the rest of your life perspective. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things happening. I mean, you know, there's this huge trend of companies taking weeks off at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, you know, Bumble got a lot of press and they, yep. they, I think they'd have two weeks now a year where the whole company shuts down because, you know, the dynamic of when you take work off, most, I mean, I would love to see stats on this. Maybe we should do some research is how many people on their vacation still work a little bit. Oh yeah. Almost all of them. I would, I would bet. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be a high percentage. Yeah. And there is a real need for psychological detachment from work. Mm -hmm. And so I think the weeks, the whole company shutting down is an interesting approach to saying, like, you don't need to check in and you don't need to be doing that work because nobody's doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the alternative that, that I've done is go somewhere where there's no internet for that's the only, for only way that really works for me. I love, like I have a sprinter van and I love when we camp somewhere where there's no LTE service. Yeah. And it's like, ah, forced <laughs> off. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I had that where the only technology we had was an old VHS and a stack of Disney movies that were in this random cabin. <laughs> yeah. I like everything about that, except for that there were only Disney movies. Yeah. No, if they're... I'm a curmudgeon, so. We, we found a couple, I think there was John Wick was scattered in there or no, John Q. So there were a few, but yeah, mostly Disney. Yeah. I'd be surprised if uh, John Wick is on VHS. Yeah. Yeah. No, got the two confused for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, Shane, thank you so much. Um, 
we mentioned a, a bunch of things, so I'll include a lot of that in the show notes. Uh, but if people want to learn more, you know, either about you or 15.5, where should they go to do that? Yeah, sure. So I, I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. So you can find me, Shane Metcalf, on LinkedIn. I, you can subscribe to our podcast, HR Superstars, where we have a lot of conversations like this, where we interview a lot of chief people officers and just get in the hearts and minds of progressive HR leaders and the triumphs and struggles therein. I, you can go to 15.5.com. Uh, 15five.com to learn about our platform. And it's a, a holistic approach to people management. So uh, check-ins, engagement, uh, performance management, performance reviews, goals, priorities, uh, as well as a pretty exciting offering we're launching called Transform, which is the education branch of 15.5. So coaching, uh, trainings, uh, you know, so that... Oh, a whole lot of really cool offerings are coming out of that. Awesome. Very cool. So I'll, I'll make sure to include all that in the show notes so you can find them there. And Shane, thanks again for joining me. I enjoyed that. Dustin, real pleasure. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. If you enjoyed the podcast, can you please head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave us a five-star review? It helps feed the Apple algorithm so more people discover our podcasts. And if you haven't hit subscribe yet, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts and just hit subscribe. Until next time.